0: Hello and welcome to the Future of Work Hub's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Lucy Lewis, a partner in Lewis Silkins employment team, and in this podcast series, I'll be hosting exclusive discussions with innovators, business leaders and thought leaders to explore their perspectives on what the future of work holds. We know the pandemic has accelerated longer-term societal, economic and technological trends, giving us a unique opportunity, a -a once-in-a-generation challenge to rethink who, how, what, and where we work. But although the pandemic has been a significant catalyst for immediate change, it's only one of the drivers changing the world of work. So today I'm delighted to welcome Kit Krugman and Derek Newbury onto the podcast, both of Co-Collective based in New York. Co-Collective is a creative and strategic transformation consultancy which partners with purpose-led businesses Kit is Managing Director, Organisation and Cultural Design. Um, She's on the board of Women in Innovation, and she's a frequent speaker and writer on topics of future-facing organisational design and transformation. She also talks, thinks, presents a lot on women in leadership and building cultures of innovation and diversity, equality and inclusion in the workplace. Derek is Senior Director, Organisation and Cultural Design. He has a background in anthropology and he's a thought leader specialising in driving cultural change. He's also author of a fascinating new book, The Culture Puzzle. So we know the organisations and workplaces and the people in them are are going through this really dramatic change. We're all struggling to adjust to the lasting effects of the pandemic. And One of the things I'm really looking forward to exploring with you both in our conversation today is how organizations can develop their business models and their strategies, but particularly their relationships with their people to thrive in what's becoming an increasingly complex world of work. So welcome to both of you. Thank you so much. So thrilled to be here. I was going to start um, by asking you, both of you, to introduce yourself. Just tell us a little bit about your background and about Co Collective.
1: Great. Yeah, I'm happy to start off. Thank you so much for having us here. My background is actually, I came up in the creative management space. I was working in partnership with creative leaders to design creative organizations, thinking about building creative teams, et cetera. And that took me through a pathway to become essentially a head of people, thinking about the internal organizational design. And then from there, I actually got a degree in organizational psychology um, and then Created and founded the practice at Co Collective around organization and culture design. So that's my kind of brief brief history. As you mentioned, I also serve on the the board of um, Women in Innovation, and that's been an organization that I've been engaged with for wow now almost five years. So great, and I can tell a little bit about Co as well. And and um, but maybe Derek, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself first, and then I can dive into Co.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So my deep background is in cultural anthropology, which I was drawn to um, because I've always had this interest in understanding the power of culture. Um, First of all, to bond people together to achieve really truly remarkable things, but at the same time to tear people apart. And at the very beginning of grad school, when I was getting my PhD, I sort of assumed that I had to go very far to uh, find and explore cultural differences, and I ended up living in rural Brazil for a while. But as I started teaching executives at the Wharton School, I realized that you don't really have to go very far at all, that there are deep cultural divisions in organizations that are very close to home. And so I started to look at the power of cultural um, uh, of culture as a force in organizations and went from really from teaching to doing. And ever since I've been advising leaders on how to build great workplaces and. Many of those lessons are collected in in the book you mentioned, and we put those things into practice at, at Co as well. And Kit can talk a little bit more about that.
1: Great, thanks, Derek. And in terms of Co, so as as you mentioned, we think of ourselves as a creative and strategic transformation partner, and our founding ethos is in this idea that you really, it's much easier for organizations to say both to their audiences and both internally and externally what they believe in, but it's much harder to make that real. And we call that difference, the difference between storytelling and story doing. And in the the context of organizational culture, we find that oftentimes organizations have higher purposes that are really important to them, or values or a mission. But then when it comes to laddering that into the organization and actually making that real and lived in their behaviors, in their systems, in their structures, that's much more difficult. Really great. And it would be really good to pick up
0: on some of those themes about how you can use those things to build your organization. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask you a question um, about co-collective, because you know that we're celebrating International Women's Day um this month, and the theme for that is Break the Bias. You've talked about being on the board of Women in Innovation, and, and I also know that you're really and rightly proud of Co-Collectives' track record on, on diversity. I know that you have a 50% ratio of men to women at every level, I think. Um, you know, it's 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 that time of the year where people have an opportunity to to focus and think about diversity, particularly gender diversity. And I wonder if Um, there's any tips that you would give our listeners that are working towards gender parity, but perhaps more generally towards greater diversity in their organisations?
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. So, you know, on, on the gender parity front, that's something I've been passionate about for a very long time. Um, I think it's absolutely critical, and especially in the design and innovation space, the consulting space, oftentimes the, the gender balance is is definitely more male, especially in the leadership levels. Now, what we're really proud of at Co, we're a completely independent organization, is that we're the opposite. Um, we have CEO is um, a woman, and a, a lot of our leadership team are women. However, I would say we actually are not 50-50. Um, we are now sort of struggling with our diversity uh, in terms of we are over 50-50. And so gender parity, and Derek might laugh, but gender parity at Co. actually has, has shifted in the other way. And so now we're looking for, from, for some diversity in the form of uh, men joining the, the organization like the amazing Derek. Um, but in in terms of diversity, I think it's really important to talk also about uh, the multi dimensionality of diversity. And and one of the things that I think too often happens is only talking about gender diversity without because uh, it's easier to talk about perhaps than things like racial racial diversity. And like every organization, we at Co have have our work to do as well. And I want to be really clear about that. And so that's a constant conversation that we have about um, racial representation and racial diversity and inclusion within the Co collective ecosystem as well. So you know i think every organization as you mentioned is is really thinking about diversity and why diversity matters and why it's important and it is a systemic thing that we need to think about
2: and if i could just add to that briefly we we also believe that it's really important to not just think of it as something you do inside of your company but but outside as well and this is a larger philosophy we have that there should be really no daylight between what you project out into the world in terms of your brand and how you engage with consumers and what you're doing inside of your company. And we feel that that extends to DE&I. And so just as one example, we've been working with a learning company that on, on its DE&I vision, and at first they were very focused on the things you would imagine, like how are we recruiting, promoting, retaining diverse talent, which is obviously super important. But you know, we push them to think about, well, you know, you're able to make learning accessible to first-generation co- college students um, in how you design your products and services to make it accessible to people with disabilities. And that's something that's important for your employees as well, to know what kind of impact you're having in the world. So I'd say we also think about uh, DE&I as something, again, that is not just about what you do inside of your company, but, but about the impact you have in the world.
0: Thank you. That's That's really, really a powerful thought. And actually, it's it's helpful for going back. I said I'd go back because you were telling us a lot about Co Collective and the impact of, of story doing, as, as you said. Um, and, and I talked at the beginning a little bit about the, the pandemic and the impact that we're seeing from the pandemic. And one of the, the things that we're seeing um, is what you sometimes see described as the great resignation. You know, a lot of people taking this moment to reflect on on their career and that's clearly having an impact on the talent pool available and I, I i wondered if you could share your thoughts on what you think is driving that what's behind the great resignation and then i guess most importantly for our listeners what companies can be doing to to meet that challenge and to to really attract and particularly retain staff
2: so i would actually start with a little bit of a reframing there so we, we do hear a lot about the Great Resignation. Um, in fact, and it changed. It's different sector by sector, but in general, what we're not seeing is masses and masses of people just stopping work. Right? We actually think it's better to think of this as as kind of a great recalibration. Um, people are shuffling jobs more basically, and one of the reasons they're doing that, just to answer your question, is you know they're they're thinking about the relationship they have to their work and to their employer, and they're asking, is there something out there that's a better fit for me um, that that meets my needs. And so to address that, uh, what we would recommend is what my undergrads used to call having a DTR moment, a define the relationship moment with employees. Employers need to really think about what is is our value proposition for the people who show up to work here and for the talent we're trying to attract? And to get really crisp about that. What is our purpose in the world um, that you're going to have an impact on? How can we help you grow in your career? But a relationship is two ways, right? So it's also important to be really clear on what's in it for the organization, for the employer, and to set really clear expectations, right? So we know burnout is driven by a lack of ambiguity, among and other things. So, for example, a lack of clarity on expectation and expectation on, you know, when the workday starts and stops or how, how many hours you're supposed to work. And when you don't set those expectations, people feel this need to be always on. So We advocate that on the employer side as well. It's important to kind of define in really clear terms. What do we expect of you in terms of when you start and stop work, um, the kinds of hours you work, when you're in the office or not? Right. That's something a lot of us are talking about.
0: Thanks. Kit, is there anything that you would want want to add? Things that that businesses should be thinking about in, in terms of retaining staff?
1: Yeah, I think I would love to go back to the question that you asked around gender parity because I and diversity in the workplace. And one of the things that I didn't answer in your question was the idea of what can organizations do? And I think that's really tied to the question of how do you retain and how do you attract. Because creating an environment that is welcoming to different people, different contexts, different individuals is really critical. And so the way I think about that is there's really three main things. Like I said, it's always a systems approach, but representation is a piece of it. It's the, it's the thing that I think for organizations becomes the most clear, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. So representation at the leadership level, whether that's in terms of gender diversity or racial diversity or identity diversity. And it has to be also across the org in different teams, et cetera, right? So if you have an engineering team that is 100% um, male or 100% white, then you're not going to see that same diversity or in that same inclusion. But it also is enforced by both the policies, which are the explicit systems, and the norms, the implicit systems. So, you know, the one thing I would say, and I'm very passionate about this, I so could probably go talk about this for a long time, is parental leave. If the, if organizations take one thing away from what I think is really important on the gender equity front, it's equal caregiver leave. So I'll just, I'll just say equal caregiver leave. There's a lot of, a lot of reasons and research behind that. Yeah.
0: And it's interesting because it's something that um, the UK government, as well as UK businesses are really grappling with. We'd introduce a concept of shared parental leave, which has been very complicated and increasingly businesses are recognizing the importance of shared parental leave. I think it's a really good point point. Um I'm interested again, it's coming back to Co-Collective, but um I guess there's value in talking to you about the things that you've done as well as the things that you help others t- to do. And I know that I mean, even before the pandemic, you were trialing different ways of engaging with staff, an idea that you know their their um contribution or compensation for their contribution can't just be valued in the salary that they get. So I know you looked at things like um unlimited leave. It would be great to Here, you share a little bit about the things that you've done, the things that you think have been successful and why you've done
1: them, the journey that you've been on. Yeah, it's a great question. And it really goes back to what Derek said about articulating the value proposition. I'm a big believer in the mutual benefit that employees and employers can design between between each other. And I think what's really important to think about is the reason that I originally thought one of my original thesis was about compensation being really thought of as holistically around experience. What is the experience that you're providing your employees? And, you know, the way I, I, I feel very lucky in my job right now because I, I'm learning every single day. And in, in that way, I feel like I'm being compensated to learn. And, and as long as you're being compensated to learn, then There's a whole different value proposition in terms of the way that you think about your work, right? So I think that it's really critical to architect the value proposition and to build into that a sense of autonomy and freedom and trust. So, you know, one of the things you talked about, unlimited leave, that's something that we've architected for a long time. More than anything, that sends a message to our people that we trust you. You are adults; uh, we trust you to make decisions that benefit your own um, your own ability to get the rest and rest that you need with the needs of the organization. And actually, talking about autonomy, freedom, and trust, you know, it feels
0: very current because I think, particularly the in the UK, and I'm sure with you guys in the US, one of the difficult things that companies are grappling with is how we how we go. Back or how we move forward is probably better than saying how we go back. How we move forward with our culture now that we're starting to reopen offices? How do we rebuild the things that were lost to the pandemic, whilst retaining some of the things that have been great? And some of those have been autonomy, freedom, greater trust when we're not so visible to each other. Derek, I know this is a lot about what you do. I know that you have done a lot of research, a lot of work. You've written a fascinating book about culture. How do you think companies move their co- company culture forward as we go into this world of um, post-pandemic workplaces?
2: Yeah, so I think there there are four main drivers of culture that are sort of timeless. They they apply to all groups everywhere, as long as we've been humans, but are especially, I would say, acute um, right now and, and especially important to focus on at a time when you know, as you said, many of us are, are sort of scattered across hybrid workplaces and finding it harder than other, than ever to connect with each other and to build a really strong shared culture. So if I were to just take, le- to take uh, briefly each of those four things, the first force is around um, interest. And this is really about the importance of building relationships. You know, strong communities anywhere, including in organizations, are really characterized by dense networks. So From an individual standpoint in your own organization, what you can think about is how can I find new ways to connect with people, even as we're at a distance or working remotely, especially the folks who are more influential in your organization, whether or not they have the biggest title, right? Kind of the people who everyone else turns to for advice or for guidance, right? And and so find ways to set up, you know, virtual coffee chats, one-on-ones with those folks and ask them you know, what's changed for you over the past couple of years of this pandemic? What do you, what's your sense about what's working or not with how we're managing the organization, with how we're managing, um, this hybrid, uh, work, if that's the stage you're in. The second force is really around, um, vision and what you could think of as storytelling, which is so important for Co. One of the big things we focus on is helping organizations understand what their shared story is, why they exist, what they're for in the world, what they're, what they're against. And again, that ability to tell shared stories uh, is more important than ever to creating a sense that that we have a shared culture. Um, So what that's all about is basically, as you're talking to people, as you're getting a pulse of your organization, to start paying attention to the stories other people are telling about, again, why they're still showing up for work for something other than a paycheck, what's important for them right now, what impact they want to have in your clients, your, your customers' or consumers' lives, right? And to start telling you know, shared stories around, around purpose, around why we exist, and, and to, to share those broadly. The third piece is around um, building new habits, which is something that's also important for us at Co. We have a philosophy of story doing, which is all about turning that shared story into real day-to-day actions. And so what to think about here as a leader is, you know, what behaviors do I want to see show up in my organization that will really define our culture? So how do we actually live our values on a day-to-day basis? Um, and it's important to get very specific. So a lot of uh, companies right now are talking about the need to be adaptable or innovative. Well, that's great, but for people to actually change uh, change uh, their, their culture, to they need to know what behaviors are expected of me? So does that mean that in meetings, we make sure everyone is able to share their perspectives before we make a decision? Is it about who we bring to the table to make decisions? It's really important to translate to the level of concrete behaviors. And then the last piece, I think, is something Kit hit on uh, that, that is a really important you know, focus area for us right now, is around experimentation, right? Culture is constantly going to change, whether we like it or not. So the way to get ahead of that is to have a little bit of a dose of humility and to in a very proactive and conscious way to constantly be experimenting and tinkering with new ways of working, new ways of engaging with each other um, and our customers um, so that we're very intentional about evolving our culture together in a really in a way that's really aligned with our purpose and values and not sort of having it happen haphazardly. So what that looks like is some of the experiments that that Kit described a moment ago. And those don't need to be huge things. They can be small ways of, you know, rethinking how we run meetings, again, how we do consumer research, whatever the case may be. But it's important to continue to experiment um, to to keep ahead of of the changes that are happening in all of our cultures.
0: That's really fascinating. Thank you. And actually, conscious experimentation is something that we've we've talked about on the future of work hub before not necessarily so much in relation to culture but in relation to practical ways of working how you how you make hybrid working work for employees that are used to either coming to the office or working from home and and the notion of conscious experimentation has been you know very profound in that context too so it's really great to hear you talk about that in relation to to culture a willingness to to experiment a little bit with with culture not be too bound up in the the past
1: um in terms of looking forward kit i don't know if there's anything you would want to add to that derek summarized it so beautifully i think the only thing i would add is you know i think i think one of the one of the things i think about a lot is regardless of the context whether it's digital whether it's from home whether it's in the office relationships are still built the same way and so i i sometimes think that we think of this in 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 too binary way where we think about, okay, you're, you're, work, you're either working from home or you're in the office, et cetera. And my provocation to our clients and, and to ourselves is how do we build relationships and how do we optimize for building relationships? So the, even even as I think about the future of work and, and what I believe is important is I call this, <laughs> Derek will laugh at me, but I call this like the summer camp methodology, right? Like if, if you if you come together with a a couple of people for even a week, even two weeks in person, and then those relationships sustain for up to a year. (laughs) So you can think about the way that you do intentional design around bringing people together that strengthens relationships, which is fundamentally the baseline fabric of how work gets done, how people communicate effectively, and how cultures and communities are built. So if we think about that differently, then we might design a different reality. The other one provocation that I'll throw out there is I was really inspired by uh, one of of the Ezra Klein podcasts um, where he interviewed Annie Murphy-Paul about her book, The Extended Mind. Um, and it she talks about how we sort of over indexed on the brain and how the way that we work is completely built around using our brain as opposed to using our body and and that the modern workplace in fact is built around this idea that we need to remain our keep our bodies captive and um, just use our brain in that context, whereas actually our body is collecting tons of different information kinetically, which really led me to start thinking about. If I were to design a completely different workplace, what would it look like in terms of the ability for people to move around, um, the ability for people to not be captured at their computer, for them to leverage and sort of in- intake all of the amazing energy and thoughts and kinetic um, connections that you can make when you're not sort of staying in one place. So that's, that's my provocation. Does this, does this opportunity create the moment for us to completely rethink the way we work? I love the summer camp
0: analogy and actually the
1: the second
0: provocation is the perfect segue into the last question I was going to ask you both and that's um, I've been asking everybody that um, joins me as a guest in this 2022 podcast series what they'd like to see change so we know that the world of work is going to look completely different in 10 years time it's probably going to look different in ways we can't even begin to predict now but if you both had the power to ensure that there'll be one change for the
1: workplace of 2032 what would that be yeah i can i can start off just building on on what i just shared i want us to take this opportunity i mean i feel like we have a once in a lifetime opportunity to completely rethink the context the culture the the way that we work and i don't want us to miss it you know, obviously, with resource constraints, it's sometimes difficult to think about redesigning the office footprint, et etc. But to me, we should be creating things like nodes and networks and a hub that's all about a, a large cafe with breakout rooms and spaces for people to move around and uh, you know, I I would love for us to take this opportunity to rethink how we use physical space, how we use our home in order to feel like we are doing our best work, to be more creative, to be more inspired and to be more connected. Fantastic.
2: To build on what Kit said, my contrarian take is in 10 years, I would love many, many more people to be back in the office and in the workplace, but but because they want to, not because they have to be there, Right. The workplace for many of us has been a have to for a long time. And for a fortunate few of us, the pandemic changed that, right? We realized we couldn't work fully or partially remote. And now there's this debate around, you know, do we, it it almost feels like the terms of the debate are around how much do we force people to go back to the office? And what I'd love organizations to think about is how do we design workplaces in the way Kit described, as being so attractive that you go in because you want to. You know that not only are you going to get some really great collaboration done, some really great work done, but you're going to see your colleagues in ways that don't feel like an energy suck, but are actually reinvigorating that you look forward to. So how do we make the, the office an attractive place to be, not just a want to, or a have to, excuse me?
0: Thank you both so much for joining me. It's been really, really fascinating. And actually, there's a lot of inspirational thoughts in answer to that last question. Um, If anybody listening would like to find out more about the Co-Collective, you can visit their website, www.cocollective.com. Kit, Derek, thank you both so much.